Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part two of Me Speak Babel, The Gate of God. This one's titled The Table of Nations or How Handy Dan Spawned the Home Depot. In the Tower of Babel story, a common language is being spoken, allowing all people to work together toward this project of pulling God down to earth through this gate to the sky, this stairway to heaven. Let's talk about that, quote, common language because that too has layers to soak through and scratch off. Uh, Babylon was a world center, a superpower, uh, the city center of the world, like New York or Beijing is today, or London or Vienna of yesteryear. Um, you can read as much where perhaps a common language was indeed spoken in all of those cities, uh, what we'd call a lingua franca, uh, as that has happened repeatedly in history wherever cities and centers of power emerged. The nation in power dictates what language is used because it's the language of business and trade. This movement toward one language is not even dictated so much as gravitated toward because where there is money to be made, people come running. And you can watch this happen whenever oil, oil is discovered or, or where a company is started and being successful. Money is honey that draws us like flies. Uh, the most powerful nation tends to steer the world into speaking its language. And right now, that language is English, because America still, for right now, holds the tethers of power, even if it seems more tenuous than it was before. In Rome, Latin was the lingua franca. In Greece, it was Koine Greek. And at the time when the story of the Tower of Babel was written, it was very likely Akkadian. That's A-K-K-A-D-I-A-N. Um, but if you want to get to the deeper meaning of the story, you need to think of the common language quotes, quotes, common language, and I'm saying that, being spoken as not necessarily Sumerian or Akkadian or English or French or Chinese. The common language is about something much deeper. It is a language that explains why every nation, even every family, is in competition right up to our time and even shedding light for us on why Russia and Ukraine are in open war this very instant. So how can I explain this? The common language is a mindset, a way of life. And if you read this story at a deeper level, the common language is not Sumerian or Akkadian. It is a worldview. Um, just prior to the story of the Tower of, the ba Tower of Babel in Genesis is the Great Flood story. And as soon as the flood subsides, we have a world of Noah and his family left as sole survivors. Obviously, they spoke the same language or dinner would have been really awkward. Now, a literal reading of this may not jive neatly with our modern concept of history and archaeology, although science is now finding that the flood story actually does merge surprisingly well with Ice Age data. But that's not what Genesis is about. As I've said before, you don't go to the Bible to learn about rocks and history, even though there is something to learn about in there about rocks and history. This is not a book about the cell, it's about the soul. So if you have subjects like geology, anthropology, or philology in mind, you will get something there. It's useful for those subjects, but it's not about those, sub those topics. And this is where the disconnect happens for people. As we tend to read... Uh, the Bible with Google brain, like machines, instead of people who consist of both a body and a soul that go together. Um, soon after the flood, so after the flood, we learn of Noah falling into sin. 
he gets drunk and naked like a college freshman. Um, and that's when the family drama begins, which leads to the splintering of his sons into, quote, the nations. The, this idea of the nations requires a lengthy digression because of its importance in the understanding the rest of the Bible that follows, which is just a mere thousand pages or so. Um, so the last thing we read about before the Tower of Babel, so in between Noah and the Tower of Babel is the Table of Nations, and it's a boring chapter that you'd skip right over. Um, I, I skipped over it, and it's one of those genealogy type of chapters where you think nothing is happening, but there's actually a lot going on in there. Um, in the Table of Nations, all known people groups of the world are listed out. Uh, so I lied. There are subjects like geography and history and Genesis, but that's not all there is. Um, here's a quote on what the Table of Nations is. The Table of Nations in Genesis 10 is not just a purely mythical and ethnocentric story made up by an early Hebrew tribesman many of hundred years after the alleged facts. It exhibits through a genuine knowledge a, uh, it exhibits throughout a genuine knowledge of ancient Near East geography and culture. So it does have a, um, a lot of understanding of geography and culture of the time. And that's the funny thing is how archaeology and historians keep finding those things are accurate. So who cares about a list of nations that don't match up with the names we use today? That's one of the hard things about this is the names don't match what we call them today. Who cares? Uh, well, I do, but so should you. Um, however, without a tour guide on these boring sections and lists in, in the Bible, uh, my eyes just glaze over. I mean, I, I can't even read it without falling asleep. I would have never known that Javan or Javan is Greece um, or that Mizraim is Egypt or Mizraim. I'm not sure how to say it or that Ashkenaz might have been the German people. Um, they never make that link. Uh, we need guides here. And I would recommend, uh, there's, a, there's a podcast called Lord of Spirits, which sometimes I quote on here, um, but Father Stephen DeYoung and Father Andrew Damick are two Orthodox priests, Bible scholars, and um, huge nerds of mythology. So it's a fun listen to because you get the information out of these chapters that you just skip over. Because you need a guide or it's too boring and abstract. We use tutors and guides like this for other things. Um, we send, you know, math tutors and all these. We should definitely find a guide through the Bible or we will miss why time itself is measured around the birth of Jesus Christ. So, for instance, if you go to Rome and walk through the Roman Forum, you will just see a bunch of ancient rocks that look mildly interesting and give you a sense of passing time. Without a guide, you will never realize how much history is represented in those weathered stones of, say, the Temple of Saturn, uh, which is kind of a Roman version of the Tower of Babel. Um, all of those boring sections in Genesis actually have more happening than we have time to learn about today, which is a shame because it's so rich in meaning. Our attention spans have shrunk dramatically. Um, unless you are a Bible nerd, you can't comb through this stuff without a guide or multiple guides. And your guides even need multiple disciplines of knowledge to traverse the field of information that's in there. Uh, one great outcome, however, of our modern academic deep dives into science and history is that we have more light shed on obscure texts for us uh, simpletons who are just trying to understand the Bible. Um, at the same time, however, 
we can be in great danger of missing the purpose of the ancient text when we reduce it to academic research. Studying myths and religion like academics often shoves God right off the stage. Um, while we look for the needles in the haystack, we forget that the purpose of the haystack is to feed a flock. Um, we can easily skip over the spiritual part and just turn it into a never-ending Bible study session of an academic kind. And if that happens, then you forget that reading the Bible is an encounter with God. And to get anything out of the Bible, you have to remember that point. Um, the main point that I'm trying to get across with the question that is the title of this blog podcast, Why Did Peter Sink?, is that Peter falls when he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Peter sinks in the water because he allows his fears and doubts to take over. In other words, he tried to walk on the water independently of Jesus, independently of God, which, of course, he cannot do. It's a miracle. Um, he loses his peace and his control because he tries to take control, allowing his fears to take over. And taking back control, um, that's what he has to give up. He can't walk on the water unless he just has total faith. So this is the great paradox of faith. Um, it's the paradox of quitting drinking or quitting doing other things you want that you'd like to remove from your life um, is that you must give up control to get any kind of control and to have any kind of miracle happen in your life. Um, that's what has to happen as Peter illustrates for us. So um, I know I've, I talk about that question. Why did Peter sink a lot? That's because that's the title of this podcast. And it's kind of the central point of every single thing that I'm talking about on every episode. Okay, one last unnecessary metaphor here. If we become purely academic in our reading, we will consume scripture like a stale little Debbie snack that's been sitting in your, in your pantry for like two years instead of savoring it like the rich French silk pie that you just got from the bakery. Um, the same thing goes for the Eucharist. If you don't believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread, then it is just a flavorless wafer. It's just a symbol, and then what's the point? Why bother? It has to be more than a symbol, just as the Word of God has to be the actual Word of God. So please, my advice is to ask for faith and keep asking, keep walking toward Jesus, and as we go, keep your eye on the Savior, not the Baal. That's a joke. Not the Baal, the Baal, the storm god. Keep your eye on Jesus. Okay. Um, Noah's family spoke the same language, so we know... Noah's a single family, the flood is over, everyone's dead except for his family, um, and the nations all came from his family according to the story. So in other words, Noah's family history is way, way back in time. And instantly our Google brain would like to say, no, the first Homo sapiens were from the African savanna and they spread out over thousands of years, etc. And the nation formed from tribes and people groups, etc., etc. So to which I would, uh, we would reply, um, the story of science at its core is not all that different than the story of Adam and Eve in a garden for the first people. Um, and if it's your garden is a savanna, that's fine. If your first two human parents are mitochondrial Eve and someone else, that's fine. Um, we're still saying that something fundamentally changed somewhere in some people somewhere along the way. It had to. We are completely different uh, from every other creature on this planet. Now, as far as the Noah story, we have much evidence of ancient flooding from ice ages, and it's not, uh, uh, is it not reasonable that civilizations were wiped out from rising seas and rivers? 
um, it, it's actually in our time of climate change, this seems like a completely possible thing uh, to have a massive amount of, um, of melting going on, plus tons of rain because of something happening that everything does get flooded. And as people like to point out, everyone lived near the coastlines typically. So it's really not unreasonable to think that the last ice ages did this. And there is things you can find various things like in the Atlantic, the magazine that's usually very non-biblical uh, recently saying that scientists are now looking at the flood story more seriously because it's evidence of what happens with these ice ages. So, of course, the last ice age is way back in time, way before we had writing. Um, sometimes I think we are talking about the same things when we argue about science and religion. It's just that uh, the sacred writer of Genesis didn't have terabyte storage to give all the details. So the writer had to cram it all in, in all of this prehistory into 11 short chapters. And there's an incredible amount of information in those 11 short chapters of the first part of Genesis. Um, of course, we have more data today. We have so much more to even be able to study, but a lot of these things from Genesis keep coming up as accurate, um, archeologically um, and, and otherwise. So historically, et cetera. So, you know, as we keep confirming these things um, and, and even science that lines up so well with the Big Bang Theory, um, which oddly enough came from a Catholic priest of all people, these things do fit well and you have to look at it with a less scientific eye um, if you're going to appreciate what is being said. Now, if you're following the 30,000 year timetable when modern people appeared to emerge across the world, uh, then the story of Noah must be considered deep in history. And my money's on 10,000 BC since that was the last big flood of the Ice Ages. Um, and the fact that people groups from all over the world have these in their mythology. There's like 50 different stories of the flood from Mesoamerica, from Mesopotamia, from the Indus River Valley. Um, now, if that was the last, if that was the big flood, now clearly the nations took time to develop. And that's what this, this story is talking about in Tower of Babel a bit. The table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 indicates that long before the Tower of Babel was built, the worship of one God, the true God, was established because Noah had been chosen by God to build the ark. So Noah was what we would, when we like to get into these arguments of monotheism or polytheism, Noah was obviously a monotheist, and this would have been way back in time. Okay, so if Noah and his family were the only people and Noah worshiped the creator God of Genesis, then something dramatic begins to happen after the dispersal of Noah's sons into the world, as in the worship of other gods. And this is where the famous succession myth uh, comes into play again that I already talked about in part one, where a god like Zeus or Baal overthrows the ancient god, the first god, in other words, along with the nations comes the idea of local gods. Because if you break off from the original, you have to create a founding myth and a god that supports the myth. In other words, the schism that forms the nations also is the impetus that forms the gods. That's one way to look at it. In the same way, companies are formed this way. Um, in fact, if you know how Home Depot came to be, it was two fired executives of a... Of a hardware store called Handy Dan, and they went on to found the Home Depot. 
And of course, Home Depot has, if you work there, you have, it has its own uh, almost like mythological narrative of how they created it. That's what companies do. Every company has this. If you've worked at any company, you get their propaganda emails of how great the company is all the time. That's just how it works. Um, uh, when I worked for IBM, I would get uh, ones about how, how they were just eating Oracle's lunch. And when I worked for Oracle, I would get emails about how Oracle was eating everyone else's lunch um, and stories about the founders and how great they were. Um, so I've gone into the succession myth stuff a lot in a previous series called About Uranus, so I won't belabor it here. Uh, it should be safe to say that America has its own founding myths, which we all are aware of, and there's stories like George Washington um, cannot tell a lie after he cut down the cherry tree and things like that. So these stories are, are just around in any organization or structure that splits off from another one. And in order to be successful, you need a story. I mean, we are sto people of stories. We're not uh, computers, thank God. Um, now, there's a time gap in between Noah's sin, which is when he gets drunk and naked, and, and, and the Tower of Babel. There's like a huge gap of time here, I believe. A lot happens in one chapter between uh, like Genesis 9 and 11. Um, it's not clear how much time has passed. Uh, so there's some people think, oh, maybe it was 100 years. Some think at 15,000. I don't really know. Um, when construction finally began on the Tower of Babel, the nations exist. That's what, we, that's what it reads like. The table of nation comes before the tower story, but everyone is speaking the same language. So clearly an academic or a scientist would have trouble computing this in Google brain. How could the languages not have developed if the late nations already had? Well, this doesn't make a lot of sense, but you can put a pin in that idea because there seems to be two types of language being referred to here. And that's my opinion of it. Um, of course, I'm probably um, venturing off into things maybe I shouldn't, but um, this is where the Tower of Babel story gets really interesting. And here's where you can take the simple path of understanding it as a fable, a tale of how languages and nations, where they came from, or you can read the common language in a different way that opens the door to far more understanding of the Bible as a whole and why Jesus came to earth at all. All right, that's the end for this episode. Thanks for joining in to Why Did Peter Sink? I'll be back with the next part of uh, Me Speak Babble, and hopefully um, I won't have to talk about Home Depot and Handy Dan. We'll be on to more interesting things. Thanks, everybody.